All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 John chapter 4. We are teaching through the three letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's why we so creatively call this title, uh, this series, These Three. And so if you haven't been here for the last several weeks, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to those messages just as we have kind of taught through this. And my goal today was originally to go through the rest of John chapter 4, but that's just simply not going to happen because, as you know, I have a tendency to talk. And so I thought it was better to kind of shorten it up a little bit so we can focus in on these critical verses of 1 John chapter 4, and then we'll uh, wrap up uh, the end of the chapter next week and then get into chapter 5 as well. So before we jump into the scriptures, though, would you pray with me and ask God to bless our time together? Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. God, we thank you for the privilege and honor it is to be gathered together as your people in your house. And God, I pray as we open your word that you would open our eyes. God, we know that without the truth of your word um, being made known to us, without our eyes being opened to see the truth of it, God, that we would never respond. And so, God, we ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would do what only you can do as we preach your word today, God. Would you help us? Help us to hear it, help us to see it, and then help us to obey it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you on the first week of this series back at Memorial Day that as we were teaching through this letter of 1 John, that John goes over subjects again and again and again. It's more cyclical than it is linear. He's not just building one kind of concept over time. He's just hitting several things over and over and over again. And those are primarily what true doctrine or right doctrine looks like and how that relates to obedient living, how we obey that. And then ultimately that means we are going to love one another. And so I want you to see the connection of that because if we understand God rightly and we obey God, then we will love one another. And that's kind of the whole point of the letter. And the reason why John was writing this, because a lot of people had left the church, had gone out. We talked about this last week because of their special knowledge. And they were doing things, saying things that were so contrary to the gospel. And primarily one of them was they had become more unloving. They were living in a way that was so counterintuitive to the gospel that they had heard because they had this special knowledge. And as Paul said in Corinthians, that knowledge puffs up and, and makes us smarter, and then it tends to, to make us look down on others and, instead of building up. And that's what John, uh, Paul said that love does. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so what John is arguing for over and over and over again in this letter is that the more we really know God, the more we will really love others. And he's going to argue that again today in first John chapter four, we're going to start in verse seven and then work our way down to verse 16. So verse seven, John says this beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is a crazy word, isn't it? Especially in our culture. You know, we talk a lot about love. But in English, and English is not considered typically one of the romantic languages, and one of the reasons why is because we're so unexpressive, primarily in words like this, we use the same exact word, love, to say I love my spouse, I love my kids, I love my dog, I love chocolate chip cookies, right? 
That, that one word is just used for all categories. And the only way we really know how to distinguish this sometimes in relationships is we tell people, I love you, but I don't like you right now. We just, it's like we're handicapped in our own language because we only have one word for this. And so I used to always say when Lindsay and I got married, I love ketchup and I do love ketchup, especially Whataburger ketchup, any, any fancy ketchup connoisseurs out there. If you haven't had it, head to Florida or, or Birmingham. That's the closest ones. All right. But fancy ketchup, it's basically Heinz ketchup with one special ingredient. And that's what makes it fancy. Um, and the fact that it's from Texas. And so I love ketchup. And, and I used to always say that. And, and, and when we left Texas that came come out here, I literally got packs and packs and packs and boxes of packs of Whataburger ketchup. And, and if you know Whataburger ketchup, it's kind of like the, the Chick-fil-A ketchup and, and Chick-fil-A has kind of caught on because before they had packets, now they have the dipping thing, you know, and so that's kind of awesome. It's a little hard to get open, but the fancy ones is like this dipping thing. You open it up and I mean, it's just perfect. I mean, it's just like, you know, the Holy Spirit in a box, right? It's amazing. <laughs> and, and when I left, Texas, I got all this Whataburger ketchup stuff. And, and my wife, and you have to know my wife, she's witty and she's funny. And, and she said, Jason, all these years, why didn't you say you loved money? You know, that, that when people left, they would have given us money, right? Like we got all this Whataburger ketchup and that's awesome, you know? So we literally ate on it until it just wasn't good anymore. And she had to thoroughly convince me that it wasn't good anymore. So my point is this. My point is when it comes to love, we are severely limited in our language, especially when we read verses like this, when it comes to love, he says, let us love one another because whoever has been born of God loves and whoever doesn't love hasn't been born of God. Why? Because God is love. But particularly in 21st century Western world, the word love has gone even more under more of uh, reconstruction of what it means because we base love so much on feelings, right? Whoa, whoa, feelings. But you have to understand love is not a feeling. Love isn't feelings. And I want you to understand when he says God is love, those words are not interchangeable. In the Greek, it says, the God is love. So the definite article is on God, not on love. And what he's saying is not these two words can be moved, like God is love and love is God. What he's saying is love is defined by God. God is not defined by our definition of love. And that's what we've done today. We define God by our definition of love and our definition of love has us as its center and our feelings. But what John is saying to you is, no, 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 God is not defined by your definition of love, but love is defined by God. So our definition of love should be defined by not our feelings, but by God himself. Why? Because the God is love. And what he's going to say in the next few verses helps us understand this love. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, capital S, to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's what John is saying. John is saying, listen, God defines love. And what is love? In the Greek, if you've you know, ever studied these words, and I point this out often, and so I'm not trying to act like you don't know, but maybe some of you don't know these definitions. This word here is the Greek word agape, because Greek does have different words for love, and this one primarily is godlike love. So let me just give you the definition. Again, I've done this before. I'll do this again over the years. Here's what the word means. To have a strong affection and love for a person and their good, now listen to this, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. So what is love? Love as defined by God is I'm going to sacrifice myself for your good. That is love. So love's not a feeling. Love is a sacrifice for the good of others because God defines love. And how does God define love? He defined love by sending his son. Now you need to understand something when it talks about the son of God. And I've hit this before, but again, it bears to be repeated. We do not believe like some Religions who claim to be Christian believe that somewhere in eternity past, God had a son. And so Jesus, his only begotten son, it was happened in, you know, in eternity past, God, the spirit had a God spirit and that's Jesus. That is not what we believe. Jesus is not the son of God like Jackson is the son of Jason. That's my son's name. And so Jackson is my son in that there was a time that he didn't exist. And now because of the actions of his mom and dad, he does exist. Jesus, John tells us in John 1 that Jesus always existed. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And he made everything that exists and anything that was made was made by him. You know what he's saying there? Anything in the made category came from Jesus, which signifies Jesus isn't in the made category. Jesus has always been the eternal God. Now, why is it God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit? Because we believe that one God, three persons. And here's how that works. And I don't understand it completely, but I understand it dimly based upon the scriptures. You have the Father, you have the Son. The Son is the image of the Father. And he has always been the image of the Father. He has always been, as Colossians tells us, the exact representation of his nature, which is why when Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is God, and he is the image that is portrayed of the Father. So he's always generating from God. There's never been a time he wasn't generating from God. And the word generate is this word here, that John uses in verse eight when he says, let us love one another for anyone who doesn't love hasn't been born of God. That word born is the Greek word where we get our English word generate. It means to bring forth. That's why we call it generations. If you ever wonder where that word generations comes from, it comes from this idea of to generate. When you generate, you have a child. And so the doctrine of Christ is that he has always been coming forth from God. 
He is always the image of God. And here's what the argument John is making. We know love. Self-sacrificing for our good love because God sent that son, that generating image, the one that's always generating from him, he sent him into the world. Why? To be the propitiation for our sins. The word there, sent, is literally the Greek word apostle. It's where we get our English word apostle, but it uses it in a verb. And if you try to use this as a verb in English, it won't, your, you know, your spell check will underline it in red, say this is not a word. But literally the idea is God the Father apostled him. He sent him. Why? Because Jesus is always going forward from God the Father. So this was not unnatural for God to do. He sent him, he apostled him into the world. But why did he do it? To be the payment for our sins. The propitiation. John hit this in chapter two as well, which means we, we kind of translate this in different ways, but I think they mean both. That one, he's the payment, he's the atonement for our sins, which means we owed a debt we couldn't pay and Jesus paid it, but he also satisfied the judgment of God. Because here's the thing, God is love, but God also is light and there is no darkness in him. John tells us that as well. So if God is light and God is love, that means he is holy and he is loving. He is perfect light. He is just and he is loving. So how in the world could a just God pay for sins while at the same time being a loving God? You wanna know how? Look at the cross. At the cross, the judgment of God and the love of God come together. The judgment of God, God is just, he has to punish sin, and you do not want a God who is not just. If you've ever been sued, if you've ever had to go to court, if you've ever had something done wrong to you, you want a just judge, right? But if you've ever done something wrong, you want a merciful judge, don't you? But hear me, you don't want an unjust one. Please hear me, to have mercy is not to be unjust. God is just and he's merciful, he's loving. But he can't extend that love without also extending his justice. And so in the cross, those two meet. And what you see is this, that God sent forth the son, the image of him into the world to pay for our debt. So he judged Jesus in our place for our sin. That's what the word means. Now I want you to hear this argument. John is using theology to have practical implications in our life. And I would say to you, there's really no other way to use theology. Let me say it like this. Theology is not just for you to know more stuff. You know, the word theology, ology means study of, theo is the Greek uh, word for God, so it's the study of God. We study God so that it has practical implications in our life. And so if you do theology or you study theology or you read the Bible and it doesn't have practical implications in your life, then you're doing it wrong. If you do it just to know more, you're doing it wrong. Because typically, if you're doing it just to know more, you're going to become arrogant. 
prideful. I know this. I have special knowledge. You don't. Which always makes me laugh that Christians claim to be saved by grace and then somehow exalt themselves. I know all this. You want to know why you know all that? Because God was gracious to you. You had nothing to do with it. Another sermon for another day. But here's the point. Here's John's argument. If you know how much God loves you by sending forth his son to be a payment for your sin, if you know that, you will love others. If you don't know that, you won't. And the word there, know, again, the Greek word gnosis, it means to know by experience. I have experienced this love. I know this love. This love has hit me. It has changed me. How do I know that? Because I've been born of God, John says. Again, remember the word generate? You, you generate a kid, you generate a prophet, you bring it forth. What Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3 is the exact same thing that John is talking about in 1 John chapter 4. In John chapter 3, John recounts a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law, was a teacher of theology, and he didn't know all this. And so Jesus is having to educate the knowers, and this is what he says. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You know that word there, born in John chapter 3, is the exact same word as 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Exact same word. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's been generated again. To which Nicodemus, rightly so, says, uh, hey, teacher, uh, I know you're from God, but um, I don't know if you know this, but I can't go back into my mother's womb. Uh, what do you mean? So, to my practical implications, Jesus, you want me to do what? And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm not talking about being born physically. I'm talking about being generated again of the spirit. Born of the water, born of the spirit. Born from here, born from above. It's used all kinds of ways. So you're born, then you're born again. And the idea of being born again is spiritually speaking, because when I was physically generated, my spirit was not spiritually generated. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, you were dead in trespasses and sins. If you're not dead, what's the opposite of dead? You guys are so smart. So the opposite of dead is alive. So if I'm dead, I'm not alive. And so what that means is I was physically alive, but spiritually dead until the Holy Spirit came. And check this, we use this in English to say regenerated. Regenerated. Born again, Jesus says. And John says here, you're born of God, you're born again, spiritually speaking. How are you born again? You're born again because the payment for your sins has been made through Jesus Christ, the son who was apostled into the world for you. Now he went back to heaven again and he gave us his Holy Spirit, which is what we talked about last week in the first part of John chapter four. And he says, when that Holy Spirit comes again, you are now entered into a new state of existence. You're now born again. You're alive in Christ. 
And how are you alive? You're not alive because you did something for God. You're alive because God did something for you. And so his argument is very simply, if your spirit is alive, if you've been born again because God loved you, how could you not love one another? Let me say it like this. How could you not extend the same love that you received? How could you not give out what was given freely to you? That's his argument. That's his rationale. That's his logic. And when you step back and say, okay, yeah. So theology, again, the study of God, who he is, what he's done, should have a practical implication in my life. Two ways. One, it should generate me, regenerate me, make me alive, save me, bring me new birth. And that new life that I live, I now live in faith. And in love. Why? Because the spirit of God is in me. And what is the spirit of God always going to lead me to do? We said this last week. To humble yourself. To serve others. To sacrifice yourself. No one has a self-sacrificing spirit outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. Nobody. It's not in human nature. Human nature very simply says, I am in this for me. And as long as you're in this for me, I'm with you. And you can be with me. But the moment you're not in this for me, I'm done. I I mean, as basic as I can say it, that's why a lot of marriages end. Because each spouse has failed to understand why they're really in it. They were never in it for themselves. Or they should have been. They were always in it for the other. Which is why marriage is so closely intertwined to our relationship with God. Let me say it to you like this. Jesus didn't get into a relationship with you for himself. He got into a relationship with you for you. To sacrifice for you to love you, to prove his love. And so God is love. He proclaimed it, and then he proved it. How did he prove it? By dying for you, by making a payment for you. That's John's argument. And he goes on, look at this in verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, again, love, self-sacrificing, if God so sacrificed himself for us. Look at his reasoning. We also ought to love one another. And this is when all of you were like, oh, that's deep. Whoa. Right? I mean, I can tell, even though I can't see your faces. Jasper, I just know you were like, oh, dude, I I ain't ever heard something like that. All of a sudden, being a little facetious, why? Here's why. Most people, when they read a statement like that, they just gloss right over it. I I know that, Pastor. I know I'm supposed to love one another. David already did this sermon four weeks ago. I know that. Yeah, but do you know how much God loves you? Because if you know how much God loves you, you'll be lining up to love one another. This is why, and and I don't mean this judgmental at all, 
But this is why I think a lot of Christians who have been in church their entire life don't love very well because they have forgotten how much God loved them. And why did they forget? Because they were pretty good. You know, like, I mean, I've been pretty good. I've been in church my whole life. You know, yeah, I drank one time, you know, and, and I lied once and I stole a piece of bubble gum. But you know what? I mean, you know, I don't have one of those testimonies. You know what I'm talking about when we say one of those testimonies? Where people were like, you know, I was doing heroin on the church pew and then God saved me. And you're like, whoa! You know, one of those. So we always just look at it from this sense that God saved me from drugs, he saved me from alcohol, he saved me from lust, he saved me from pornography, he saved me from all these things. I'm not saying God didn't save you from those things, but here's what you need to understand. What he saved you from was the result of all those things, which was an eternity without him. So if you grew up in church, he still saved you from the exact same thing he saved us who didn't grow up in church from. Hell. So you have that testimony. And this is what makes religious people so hard to save because they don't think they need it. This is why Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a religious teacher, he's like, you don't know this? Christians who have been loved much, love much. Jesus said that. And you want to know why a lot of us don't love very well? It's because we don't know and believe how much he loved us. He loved you so much that he sent forth his son as a payment. Not just for, we think sins are qualified as good and bad behaviors. No, sins are simply anything that a dead person does. A dead person, well yeah, if you're physically alive, spiritually dead, everything you do is sin. Even quote unquote, good things. Because why do you do those good things? You do those good things so the people will pat you on the back for being a good person. So John's making the argument, listen, if he loved you, loves us like that, wouldn't we love one another? He goes on, look at this. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, what an, again, John's logic here is amazing. He says, no one has ever seen God. Now, automatically, if you study the Bible, you say, well, hold up. Isn't Jesus God? And, and people did see Jesus. In fact, John saw Jesus. Contextually, what is John saying here? He's not talking about the second person of the Trinity. He's talking about the first person of the Trinity because later he's going to use the word father. Here's what he's saying. No one's ever seen God the Father. No one's ever seen God the Father. But then listen to how he argues. If we love one another, that God that no one has seen abides in us. The word abides, the exact same word Jesus used in John 15 means to remain. God remains, he lives in us and his love is perfected in us. The word perfected means accomplished. It has its intended effect. 
So listen to how John reasons. He's saying, listen, you understand how God loves us? We ought to love one another. Why? Because no one has seen God. But if the love of God is in you, they can see God in you. Let me say that again. No one's seen him, but they can see him in you. This is why we're called the body of Christ. In the same way that Jesus was the image of God, now we are that image. Not saying we're Jesus, but I'm saying we're his body. We are generating forth. We are putting out an image. And people who come to church every weekend, they've not seen God, but they have a chance to see God in us. People in our neighborhood, people in our homes, people in our workplaces, they haven't seen God, but they have a chance to see God in us. Why? Because if we have been loved by him, we trusted Jesus, he abides in us and his love is accomplished in us. How do we know if his love is accomplished in us? If we love one another. If we love one another. So let me say it like this. If we don't wake up every day looking to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others, the number one, we have failed to understand how much he loves us. And number two, people may not see God that day. They may not see him that day. Because when they interacted with you, they should have had a chance to see him. They should have had a chance to experience him but we're busy and we got places to go and things to do. This is why Jesus tied these commands together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost like Jesus was saying, listen, your love for God is only as deep as your love for your neighbor. Because in loving your neighbor, you show your love for God. You show that God's love is perfected, accomplished in you and how you love your neighbor. Jesus even went so far to say, you've heard it said, love those who love you and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. <laughs> Let me say it to you like this. Your love for God is only as deep as your love for those who hate you. You want to know why? Because you and I were an enemy of God. And God proved his love for us by loving his enemies. And when we love like that, we show we've been loved like that. I don't know if you noticed, but here in Canton, Jasper hasn't happened yet there. But we changed our lobby. I don't know if you noticed that this morning when you walked in. I'm sure you probably did. And took some stuff away, took some counters away. You know, we're redoing that. I told you before I left that we are redoing that. And the primary reason why we changed it and we will change it in Jasper is because we want to better love others. When people come into our church, into our family, we want them to feel love. We want them to understand that they are loved. And so our best asset as a church is our people loving people when they come in. And so we have just simply tried to highlight that now. 
And, and one of the ways that we needed to do that was to use the real estate better, to use the space we had to better love and connect with people so they could join a team, join a group, join the church. Why? Because our entire goal for existing around here is not for people to consume coffee, but to consume Christ. Right? So, so the, the point is we want to show them Jesus We want to give them Jesus. We want to love them. And we will do anything and everything to do that. And our best asset is our people. As Hernan, who was on staff here, said a few weeks ago, our people really are the coffee. So I want you to understand something. We didn't do away with coffee. We just moved it to the team member area. So right after service is over today, you can go right out to where the coffee used to be and sign up for a team. Right? And we'll caffeinate you to better love people. <laughs> so we're just putting our money where our mouth is, right? And plus, we want you to come in. What's amazing is we take that away. People actually came into service today. And people are singing and clapping. They're not just like this while the singing's going on, right? Are we opposed to coffee? No, we love coffee. I love coffee. Got some good coffee in the team member area. Sign up, join a team, you'll get some. Here's the point. <laughs> the point is why we exist is to love others. And so our people, we want to train our teams, our people to love one another, to have conversations with people, to engage with people, to connect with people. Why? Because when people come to our church, that might be the only time they ever see God. And how do they see him? Not in the stuff we offer them, but in the love we offer them. So John's whole rationale, very simply, is love like you've been loved. So so let's let's take like a quick, you know, kind of inventory of our life. Okay, do I love my spouse the way that I've been loved? Do I love my kids the way that I've been loved? You know what slays me more than anything? Is when I start talking to my children and I'm getting on to them and the Holy Spirit very gently reminds me, hey, Jason, I don't talk to you like that. Hey, Jason, I I gave you grace. You know, that's what happens, right? Like, okay, I love you. What you did was wrong, but I forgive you in the same way I was forgiven. Again, those who have been loved much, love much. So take an inventory. How do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor the way that God loves you? And by neighbor, I mean your physical neighbor. How do you love those that you work with? Do you love them the way God loves you? See, we overcomplicate this. The good news is the father is just like the son. You want to know the good news of Christianity? God the father is just like God the son. Because God the Son loved in the exact same way he has seen his father love. The bad news is the church doesn't love as Jesus loves. The good news to the world is, hey, Jesus is just like the church. And the world's like, oh, don't want that. Because when people come in, They feel judged, they feel whatever, you know? 
But what if as Christians who were like, man, listen, I'm just like you. I struggle with sin. I mess up. But God has been so gracious to me. And I'm going to love you in very tangible ways because that's how he's loved me. He goes on, these last couple verses, verse 13. By this we know, we know, we experience that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, again, capital S, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We've seen it. We testify it. And in verse 15 and 16, he says, whoever confesses that, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. It's a lot of abiding. Verse 16, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. See, most of us think that we have come to know and believe the love we have for him. And we think that's what makes us Christian. That God abiding with me is dependent upon my love for him. And my friends, that's not good news. That's good advice. Not good news. Good news is, no, you can come to know and believe the love God has for you. And so my relationship with God, thank God, is not based upon my ability to love him. It's based upon his ability to love me. And when I know that and get that and understand that and believe that, I'll have no problem loving one another. And so there may be some of you today who have not come to know and believe that. And you can, because it really is true. But then there's some of you today that claim to know and believe that. But that's not what you're showing. I want you to understand something. Only secure people can sacrifice for others. Only secure people can humble themselves. Only secure people can serve. This is why Jesus showed how secure he was in the Father's love for him when he put a towel around his arm and washed the feet of those who would eventually leave him and betray him. And so when you're secure in the love of God for you, you'll love others, whether they reciprocate it or not. Because you're so full on who God is for you you got so much love to give out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word spoken to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and revealed to us in the person of Jesus. God, I pray right now for anybody in the house who has not come to know and believe the love that you have for them. They still think that they got to measure up. They still think that they got to do something to pay. God, the good news of the gospel is Christ paid in our place for our sin.
And you're not going to charge us for something that he's already paid for. And so God, I pray for anybody who has not come to know and believe the love that you have for them. I pray right now you'd save them. You'd open their eyes. You'd regenerate them by your spirit, God. You would make them come alive. And they respond in faith. And they're saved. Nobody looking around or talking here. There's never been a point in time in your life where you've responded in faith. Where you've come, you haven't come to know and believe. Right now can be that point. And very simply, God opens your eyes to see the truth of who he is. You respond in a confession. That's what John just says. You confess Jesus. So I'm just going to help you with that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. And it's not so much the prayer that saves you. It's the confession of what God's done in you. And when that happens, God opens your eyes. You respond in faith. You're saved. So very simply, just to help you confess, pray with me, say, God, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I give you my life. Help me to know and believe the love you have for me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that very simply, would you just simply lift your hand up? Canton and Jasper, thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Now, for those of us who claim to know and believe, let's love one another. Not in any way to try to earn that love from God, but because we have that love of God. If we've been loved like this, we'll have no problem loving like this. And remember, by love, I mean self-sacrificing, laying down yourself by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, for the good of others. In your marriage, in your family, in your workplaces, in your church. God, we ask that you would do this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.